0: Guys, just before we get you to this live, Confessions is out on Amazon. To order your copy, head to shoreb forward slash confessions book. And let's get you to this live. hi everyone it's adrian um god i haven't done this for a while it feels like forever angel because you're the first interview since i finished the book (laughs) which is which is right here by the way just to do it i didn't realize how thick they were so angel (laughs) angel strong which is the best name ever is actually in this volume and i just got mine the other day when i said they were going to be thick i wasn't kidding um you can you can really beat someone over the head with these. Um Danielle the the Danielle, this Danielle said it was like the yellow pages. And I said, Yep, <laughs> it's like the yellow pages. But Angel, um, who's Miss Nebraska Earth USA 2020? Um, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Hi. I am very excited, but also kind of like mellowed out. <laughs> Today's just Amen. been a long day.
0: <laughs> no. I've seen that there's obviously been a lot happening with Miss Earth, um, which is just around the corner. It's in not even two weeks. Um, so I'm sure you've had a hectic day, but can we just start with the fact that you scheduled your interview for three in the morning and you are not the first person to do this. You were the first person who did it on purpose, but why three in the morning?
1: So I actually live with five people. I live with my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt, my cousin, and my mother. (laughs) So getting a time where the Wi-Fi isn't completely rattled because there are five other people using it is really difficult. (laughs) So a lot of my interviews have to be early morning, way past 10 o'clock kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Well, three in the morning is that that's, yeah, that, that's something else. Are you awake? I mean, I would be asleep.
1: I I have a lot of caffeine in my house. I have some very strong chai teas that I've been drinking for the last several hours. And I did get a nap in the day. So I feel like that's balanced enough.
0: <laughs> I, I I suppose, look... <laughs> It's lovely to have you here at three in the morning. Let's not keep you too long in case you fall asleep. As I said, I'm you're not the first person. It,
1: so I'm used to it by
0: now. Oh, okay. All right. So this is like midday for you. You'll be yeah, fine. This uh, is where I'm up. Angel, why why don't we start with the easy one? Why don't you tell us? And I, I did read, um, again, this is not a shameless plug, but to do the research, it was very easy this time because I just read your chapter in the book. Um, but. For the lovely people watching this, whether it's live or on the replay, tell us how you got involved with pageantry to begin
1: with. So growing up, I was kind of a nerd. I'm still a nerd, but a different type of nerd. And when you go to a school, like a public school, kids don't like nerds. It's boring to be sitting with the kid who's always talking about, oh, I learned turtles can breathe through their butts today. And it's just weird to be alone all and the they- time. And my grandmother decided that I needed friends. So (laughs) love you, Grandma. Thank you for the friends. (laughs) So she signed me up for Nam, which is an American pageant that recently bought IJM. It's still blowing my my mind. It was announced literally yesterday. (laughs) I'm still reeling from it.
0: IJM is happening as we speak, though, right?
1: It just finished yesterday, and at the end, they announced that Nam had bought it.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so after a 2020 where pageantry was basically not so much happening, it seems like a lot has happened in the first two or three days over in America.
1: Oh, my gosh. No. it So second runner-up to Teen USA, Audrey Eckert, good friend of mine. Hi, Audrey. Uh, actually competed in ijm a lot they are very involved with the system like her and her family so we were all watching it and then we get to the end and they're like oh yeah nam owns us now and we're all just sitting here like what (laughs) because those are like the two big systems for younger girls here so it was (laughs) mind-blowing
0: That's a bit of a bombshell. Um, do you, off the top of your head, I had no idea it was over already. Do you know who won? IJM. Oh. It's okay. I'm be real I, honest.
1: I can... I've like I was not paying attention to through most of it. I you was had just your like, own
0: stuff going on.
1: IJM's also just never been a pageant that was really on my radar, but I've known girls who've done it.
0: Okay. So. Before we... I only asked because one of the people, one of the girls, one of the American girls I interviewed was in the running for the teen section, Natalie Draught. So I was seeing photos, but I have, I had no idea the pageant was over already.
1: It might just be the younger divisions, but I'm pretty sure that most of it is over now.
0: <laughs> We're catching up with a pageant gossip. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Any luck?
1: I don't think they've updated anything.
0: Oof. Okay. Don't worry about it, Angel. I'll look it up afterwards. This is supposed to be your interview anyway. You're not a not a roving reporter.
1: I'm, I'm gonna be like looking it up afterwards too. <laughs> Cause now I feel bad.
0: Like, oh, it's, it's I don't keep up with the latest in pageants. I, I, maybe I should, but I don't. So if you ask me who won this system in that year or who is a current title holder, I I usually won't know unless it's someone that I've interviewed personally myself.
1: The um, only times so- I know who's won what is either it's someone I know. So like when yeah. Sarah Rose Summers won USA, she was actually a Nan sister queen of mine back in 2011. So it was like something I instantly knew because it was all over her mother's Facebook. Because and then if it's in the Miss Earth system, <laughs> I get like constant updates on Miss Earth. That's the only two times.
0: Which, which is fair enough. So back us up for a sec. So you were saying that your grandma entered you in Nam. Yeah. So after that, what happened? Obviously, you're hugely involved with Miss Earth at the moment. But was it from Nam to Miss Earth or were there intermediate steps?
1: So I was seven when my grandmother entered me in Nam, And I actually had a lot of fun. For probably the first time in my life, I was seeing just a lot of girls that cared about things I cared about, and it was really exciting for me, but at the same time, I was starting to get more and more involved in different systems. So also in your book, I tell a pretty funny story from when I was about anywhere from 10 to 12, I couldn't really remember when I was competing in ANSO. And that was actually one of the last pageants I did before coming to Miss Earth USA. And I kind of just took a few years break. I wasn't really interested in doing any other pageants. And it actually came from a Miss Nebraska Earth title holder at the time. She kind of came up to my coach and my aunt Tess and was saying, hey, I need a junior. Who, who do you have got that's? science-minded, really likes environmental things, and eventually eventually they were just like, well, angel, (laughs) let's send her. So I agreed, went, had a lot of fun. Keely was the girl who won junior that year, and she was a really good friend of mine. Absolutely love that girl. And it was just really reassuring to be in a system again where girls cared about one another and weren't getting super uber competitive over every little thing. And that's just really what I needed and what I wanted.
0: So how long ago was that angel that you first got introduced to the earth system, the earth USA system?
1: So I accepted the title in December of 2015 and competed in the national pageant 2016, I believe end of July. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember when the exact pageant is anymore. And Hi, Ireland. I've been to Ireland before. No, I haven't. I've wanted to go to Ireland.
0: This is Kathleen, who, unless my memory is going, um, she's in the book as well. Um, I, I can't remember. Everyone, there's 161 of you in the book. Um, so just just back, back us up, Angel. So you started in, you, th- you, you got introduced in 2015. You think you competed for the first time in 2016 it was 2016
1: now, I can't remember the month at all
0: okay that's all right it's 3 a.m for you so I'm not going to hold you to that um it was also four years ago I was gonna <laughs> say now it's 2020 but actually it's 2021 um so what has your involvement been with the Earth USA system since then and I ask this because I mean most of the girls I interview are pretty involved with their system but I think you've taken it to another level. I know that you've um, done some interviews. You've interviewed, for example, Marissa Butler, who I've interviewed as well. So, this is not for you, this is not just saying that you're passionate about the environment and saying that you are part of the system. You've taken it up way, way, way beyond that. So, what has your journey with the Earth USA system been like up to this point?
1: I've been to every national pageant since 2016. I am actually the only girl. <laughs> who has been to every national pageant since 2016. Uh, Alyssa was the queen at the time, and she was giving up her title then. And she's back now, and that's super exciting. But I ended up winning junior in 2017, came back and actually crowned the teen queen in 2018. Mm -hmm. 2019, I competed for the teen crown. And then 2020 happened, and I was reflecting on, okay, what do I want And a lot of it just came down to back in 2017, watching my sister queen compete for the Miss Earth title and watching Karen Abosco win, I decided then and there I was going to be Miss Earth. It was everything to me. It's one of my biggest life goals. And everything I've been working for and doing has been leading up to that. And I'm just trying to push and get there, whether it's this year, next year, five years from now. I have a feeling I'm going to be in this system and involved for a really long time, but it's just everything for me at this point. I've never wanted another title before like this. I've never really wanted a national title more than I had wanted the junior title. And now I'm going for the Miss title with the very same drive and action and mm. plan in that.
0: Can you explain, sometimes when you feel so strong, it's difficult to put the emotions into words. Why is it that Miss Earth um, resonated with you so strongly?
1: So, like I said, I am a nerd. I have always been kind of like the social outcast at events, I was never a party person. I really enjoy science and physics. I am getting a dual degree in environmental science and international relations right now. So I've always been that person who's just like giving you random facts at two in the morning because I can't sleep. So a lot of my friends are used to it by now, but at the same time, I didn't really have a place where I fit in for a really long time. And seeing Karen Abosco who went out there and everything she did just showed how intelligent and productive and driven she was. Watching a lot of her interviews, she is always going off about some cool science things she's learned. She is a physicist, and it's her entire life passion. And it's one of those things that I resonated with. And then seeing her and her journey just really made me feel like there was a place for me somewhere. And it was right here.
0: Just um, talk us through the science part, because I, I don't know if anyone watching this will know, but I will say that I'm a nerd as well. Um, I, I did very well in school, and actually I came first in science in Australia in a quiz that we had, a chemistry quiz. So when I'm saying it, I'm not just saying it because, oh, you like science, me too. Um, carbon chemistry and all, all those sorts of things, physics. Um, so what, what, what are your favorite Aspects of science. I mean, science runs a gamut from geology to astrophysics to going into space to igneous rocks. So, which parts of science do you love the most? Which ones have your interest?
1: Physics. I'm also, so I was both captain of the Science Olympiad team and math team at my school. So, math and science for me, they're like hand in hand, love it. I really enjoyed chemistry. I only took a semester of it because I'm bad at chemistry, but I just really loved it. It's a fascinating plethora of all different things. And it's just, it's hard, but if in a fun way, in a challenging way, (laughs) it's something I'm going into environmental science. I've never been good at biology. It's a weird thing to admit. (laughs)
0: Biology was a simple one, though. <laughs> all the biologists are going to hate me, but out of all the ones I studied, biology was like genes and things dominant, non-dominant. I found that really
1: easy. Well, that part was easy for me. The part okay. that got harder for me because I did standard level biology through the International Baccalaureate program, which Righty. I in Australia it's like a more popular thing. I'm used to. Explain it's not that big.
0: It. It's still the alternative, but the school that I used to coach tennis at. They offered they were one of the only schools that offered IB and it was an all girls school. So you're lucky I actually know what the really? IB is.
1: Oh my gosh, no, like when we talk about it here in the US, like no one knows what it is. So it's yeah, I'm I'm used I'm to like people not knowing what it is at this because
0: point. Because it's it's in Australia anyway, it's the one that you'll take in high school if you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you need to travel overseas because it's that international. Makes sense. So Whereas most of the girls and most of the guys here take what's called the highest school certificate, the HSC, and that's probably still 90, 95%. As I mentioned, I just happen to be working at a school where I know what the IB is. So you've obviously known what you've wanted to do for a long time if IB has been on your radar.
1: Yeah, so I actually was supposed to study at a school in Ireland. That's why I was mentioning that I really wanted to go to Ireland. Uh, Trinity University there has a really great diplomacy program, so a diplomatic science program, and my ultimate goal is to run the United Nations Environmental Program. One of my kind of biggest complaints about the UNEP is sometimes the people running it aren't the most knowledgeable in environmental topics, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. They are diplomats, and they bring people in to help fill that gap in, but I just think it would be nice to have someone in the room from the get-go who Mm. knows about conservation biology and conservation ecology. But really, biology for me in IB, the part that was hard was like memorizing the chloroplasts and the different parts of the plant and those sorts of things. Punnett squares? Easy. Genetics? Easy. I loved the climate change parts of it i loved ecology don't get me started on cells or any physiology things because <laughs> i do not know okay.
0: it's so weird talking to someone who's who's studied science and like so are you good with memorization or not because the part that you just mentioned is rote memorization chloropaths, cell walls etc etc ribosomes all that stuff that's just memorization though right
1: Yeah, it is just memorization, and I'm good at memorizing things, but only if I care. (laughs) That's Uh, kind of where I got a problem. Physiology, I had at one point wanted to be a forensic anthropologist, realized that I have a very weak stomach, (laughs) and said nope to that. (laughs) So physiology was something that I just could not handle, and a lot of times in class, I would just be like, no, 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 (laughs) no.
0: Do you ever do a dissection?
1: We did. I hated it. I was just sitting there like, I'm going to puke. So we did a pig's heart at one point. Mm -hmm. And then I think we did frogs. I can't remember. It was an amphibian. It was like a frog or a toad or something. And I was just like, you, 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 you don't want to do it. Don't want to be a part of it
0: you should do an eyeball. That's the one that we had to do. That was the worst. We did the heart, didn't do a frog, but the eyeball, cause it's just something about cutting into it and it just makes you hurt. Cause you know, you don't want anything in your eyeball. And then yeah. you're like pulling it apart, pulling <laughs> the lens out. And it's like, oh, so.
1: I just have such a weak stomach for that kind of thing. I can handle blood. That's the weird thing. I can handle blood. I can't handle like slime like membrane. <laughs> I,
0: I do. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Blood is okay. It's the guts that are not okay. Right.
1: So, They're just oddly wet and I do not like it. <laughs>
0: okay. um, it, it's now again, going off your book and I'm um, going off your book, going off your chapter in my book. I know that you are fluent in English, obviously, and French, You're studying Arabic. You've already outlined that you want to not just be in the UN, but the particular position that you want. So you've got this really, which I find fascinating given that, how old are you? You're 18, 19? I'm 18. You're only 18. Okay. Where did this singular purpose come from? Because I've got to say, I can speak to a 30-year-old and ask them what they want to do with their life, and they'll be like, I don't know. You at 18, and obviously you didn't have that you didn't have that goal just now, you must have said it before. So where did this clear cut purpose, this clear cut path come from for you?
1: So part of it is I was an international extemporaneous speaker in high school. So it's a form of speech where you draw politics or current events question. Well, you draw three of them and you choose one of them and you write a speech in 30 minutes, it's a five to seven minute speech and you give it completely memorized you have sources that you've pre-polled and pre-researched, and you just talk. And one of the things that really got me far, I qualified to actually two national tournaments in international extemporaneous speaking, was I really liked political theory. And if I didn't know about a topic, that was fine, because I could talk about the theoretical basis behind it. And that was something that was interesting to a lot of judges because I wasn't getting controversial a lot of the time. So even if they asked me something like, is President Donald Trump overstepping his boundaries by doing XYZ? I could pretty much avoid the controversy by pointing mm-hmm. out different times in political theory where this would be considered an action by a populist personality. Or this is just a simple action that a lot of presidential, presidential democracies tend to take and kind of point out that that's why parliamentary democracies, other than the United States, for whatever reason, last longer. So it was just something that when I actually sat back and looked at who I was, I really like politics. I love the idea of dip, like diplomacy. And negotiating and having those mm-hmm. kind of fun, not really fun, but really purposeful debates on a floor. Mm-hmm. I did congressional debate and Lincoln Douglas debate, which are both very value driven forms of debate. So it was just, for me, it felt logical. And then I've been in environmentalism since I was like seven or eight years old, and it really fell together. And that's a mm. weird thing to say, but it just kind of folded into each other just so nicely.
0: It sounds like a lot of moving parts sort of had to come together. Some of it probably was planned and some of it not. You mentioned a couple of things which I, I really want to delve into. One is the debate, because I think what the, one thing that we're really missing in the world at the moment is constructive debate, where people are able to actually argue a point without it devolving into calling other people names and we'll get to that but i want to ask you about donald trump because obviously he has been he was attacking science a lot with the pandemic um almost saying that you know i don't listen to the scientists and if biden gets in which he did he's just going to listen to the scientists which i always thought hey that's a good thing when it comes to a pandemic did it have any did you have any reaction to basically Trump saying science making science a political thing rather than a factual thing?
1: I think one thing that people who don't live in America just sometimes miss is a lot of times on the internet I see them talk about Trump making science a political thing. That's been a thing in the US for decades now. It actually became and this is something a lot of people I know and love, don't like to hear, it became a political thing back when Al Gore was running for president, because from previous decades and previous presidencies, things like environmental awareness, like our Clean Air Act, were things that were bipartisan supported, science was very trusted. But when Mm. Al Gore took a stand to say, hey, I am running on a campaign of science, It then became a political argument because if he was going to be a campaign of science and his eventual running mate was going to be a campaign of science, then the opposing party, because we are a two-party system, which Mm -hmm. always has to butt heads on everything, then had to be anti-science in a lot of ways about that subject. And it kind of just devolved into more and more and more. And both sides have points on why maybe it isn't always... The best and why it is the best. And one of the points I hear come up time and time again is sometimes science is not perfect. And I, I agree with that. It's not perfect. And I think people want it to be because that's easier, but things aren't black and white like that. Especially with COVID-19, we have seen science in action, which is hmm. fascinating. But at the same time, it means that a lot of people have heard one thing and then scientific studies come out and they're now saying an opposite thing. And people in the US, our scientific education curriculum is not standardized. So I know in my high school, a lot of students never learned scientific theory. This is never something people have encountered in the US. They don't understand how it works a lot of the time. Mm So when you talk about, and when people talk about Donald Trump politicizing science, I think that's because he ran on being anti-science in very, Mm. in a variety of ways, but he definitely wasn't the one who politicized it. It's been politicized for years and it's two pronged. It's one again, because we have to butt heads on everything. And two, simply because scientific literacy is not something that is taught everywhere in the U.S. And that's a shame. But Mm. certain people, I know my work with Earth Angels, I do work with low-income kids teaching them scientific education specifically so they can compete in things like the the Google Science Fair, where you need to be scientifically literate so you can get scholarships and other things like that. But for a large portion of the U.S., it's just not something you're taught.
0: Yeah. I, I take your point about uh, Trump not being, let's say, the first to politicize it. I think very often what happens is being someone, him being someone who simply he, he yells a lot of the time, and f- figuratively speaking. And he doesn't sometimes he just says things without really thinking it through. I would hate to be his speechwriter. Um, So maybe that he's just known for it because he's the one that's been most vocal about it. Um, I can think of a lot of downsides of politicizing science um, and politicizing fact. Is there any upside to having science be such a political topic in the United States?
1: I don't think there's very much. However, what I have noticed is it has, as much as I don't like the anti-vaccination debate, I... I had a little brother who had cancer and vaccines are important for kids with immuno mm-hmm. problems like he had. And it yeah. really is just not something I am up for debate about a lot of the time because of that. I know how you feel. Yeah. But one of the things I have noticed that came out of the anti-vaxxer debate is that vaccinations were more heavily criticized by the scientific community because they wanted to see, okay, Is there any truth to these claims? Is there anything that I need to be looking at? And it actually did lead to multiple new versions of vaccines. There was a a mercury uh, ineptitude in I believe the influenza A vaccine here in the USA. And it wasn't harmful. It wasn't going to Mm -hmm. hurt anybody. But knowing that is important information, because if it had been harmful, then that might be something we want to know about. It's also led to multiple scientists making discoveries about some of our vaccinations like the polio vaccine. So if there is any kind of like silver lining to any of it, it does Mm. make scientists more critical of what they're looking at, because now they have an entire mountain they're trying to prove.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, what what was I going to ask you? Just to... There's so many things that I don't normally get to talk about in interviews. The, most of this stuff, I would say, is too intellectual, but you're bringing it up. So I'm OK with that. Just on a side note to that, obviously, um, the Big Bang Theory was a huge hit all around the world, um, heavily based on not just science, but science is kind of, you know, it's hip it's uncool it's now cool to be a nurse <laughs> did that show mean anything to you i loved it um but for yourself as being someone who's very heavily involved in science did it, it mean anything to you it was
1: something watch with my aunt cammy she is a well she was an anthropologist but she also has a degree in biology that has led her to be able to do like crime scene investigation for the military she's like wow. one of my biggest role models she's traveled the world I think it's pretty neat. And I remember the first time I saw the show I was at her house and Sheldon Cooper best character on screen ever. Okay.
0: Do you remember we I used remember. to laugh at him washing his hands all the time?
1: I I enjoyed it. I feel like okay. I feel like it's something that there's just certain people who do it and I think it was kind of a good thing for people to see just because i know a lot of people who have who are neurodivergent and there are things like that that pop up in their daily life one of my yeah. friends literally will not touch a doorknob unless he can turn it five times so oh, wow. things like that are i don't think i would have adapted to as easily if i hadn't seen characters like sheldon on tv the big bang theory was just an incredible work of art is art that just really one was fun with science and I loved it. And two, Sheldon Cooper is just a wholesome character. <laughs>
0: um got hello, someone saying hello Hi Noy. No. Guys if you if you let me know where you're from as well. I mean Angel may, may know you. There's a lot of um comments coming through the Facebook group. I don't I don't know who said morning, for example, but good morning. I mean it's night for good me. Morning. I guess Technically, it is morning for Angel um, at yeah. three thirty in the morning. Uh, Feels
1: like night now. Angel.
0: So, can you catch us up with what's been happening with the pageant in the last couple of days? Because I've been watching the the Earth um, the Earth USA socials, and obviously Laura Clark, Laura Clark socials, your director. And I've been seeing that you guys, some of you have had your interviews, or all of you, some of you were featured on a on a, a live. So what's been happening sort of in the last few days? Because it looks like a lot has happened.
1: So yesterday we started our judge interviews and our earth talks. So they are kind of like delegate live chats where we're just chatting with Brittany and Payne. excuse me. And she's asking us questions. We're having fun. It's a lot like the miss earth delegate live chats, which is really cool. I actually had my interview yesterday feels like earlier. It's earlier. It's weird. But, and then I had my delegate live chat. And today and tomorrow, we'll be finishing up our roster and just completing that. But before that, we also had some delegates going live and having social media takeover days. And that's essentially just getting delegates warmed up and shown to all of the fans. Miss Earth has a very big following in the Philippines, especially, Hmm. so, and in a lot of Latin American countries, I will not leave them out either. So it's just something that fans get to enjoy and get to know girls. Because, and I've talked to Noi about this before, it is really easy to get caught up with girls that you've seen before and that you know. Uh, Me, Alyssa, Amma, Marissa are all pageant veterans. We are people that are just recognized by fans at this point, but that doesn't necessarily make us any better than girls who are doing this for the first time. Our current Miss Earth is, literally did Miss Earth as her Miss Earth USA as her second ever pageant. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that you have to be a pageant veteran to do well. And I think the social media takeover days is just a really great wave that Miss Earth USA tries to help delegates be able to share who they are and get fans to care about some girls that they haven't seen before and get to know girls that they haven't seen before.
0: How did it feel having uh, an American win the title for the first time, the international one?
1: Like there's this moment of numbness where you're just like, wait, did that actually (laughs) happen? (laughs) Like, We've gotten so close so many times. I, someone tallied up like the most, uh, elemental title queens like the most top four spots and mm. USA is up there we're in that top four a lot it, we've only had like a handful of girls that have not made top 20 or top 10 so it's just bizarre see like seeing a girl from the USA finally get there I've been watching for four years now and it's just like oh is it going to be her is it going to be her? I was sitting there in 2019. Is it going to be money? Is it going to be... And then you're kind of like bracing yourself like, oh, it's going to happen again. We, we think it's going to happen and it's not. And then all of a sudden it just happens. <laughs> and everything's still for a moment. Everything's still... We're on this delegate live stream together, like this live chat, like all watching together on mm-hmm. Zoom. And you can just see for a moment, everything's still. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows how to react. And then That's one the girl... metaphorical
0: hitting the ground.
1: Yeah. And then one girl just starts celebrating. And of course, I had family over that day. So I was like, oh, yay. And then I had to like get off right away because my family was already annoyed that I wasn't spending time with them. But <laughs> it was just one of the most reckoning things that can happen after four years of watching it's just it comes to a point where you just accept that it's never going to happen and then it does
0: do you have um do you have any idea any inkling because obviously you followed the earth system as a whole more closely than almost anyone do you have any inkling what maybe it was that got Lindsay over the line as as aside from just just being, I mean, obviously top four, getting to the bat in the first place is a huge achievement. But what's, what got her across that line from being an elemental queen to actually taking out the crown?
1: So, one, it really came down to final question, how things are answered. Sometimes you just need to be a lot more direct about it, and she did a really mm. good job of that, whereas I think Roxy and Stephanie They were answering the question, but it wasn't in a way that was clear. And when you have judges that only get a snap moment to score you, that's not what you want all the time. I loved their answers, but I also had to think about their answers, which is something Hmm. that doesn't really work in your favor when your judges just need to score you. So I think that definitely helped her. I think the online, just having it virtual, was a benefit simply because having fans constantly there saying, Lindsay, 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 it keeps Mm. you in the judge's mind. You always want to stand out to your judges. And for all intents and purposes, having an entire fan base who is constantly jumping on, okay, this should be your winner, is going to put it in the judge's heads. Like, yeah, that should be my winner. So there was just a lot of things that fell into place really well. Her hashtag, so having the hashtag portion with down and swim was also a really big benefit because having those scores, I don't know if they actually ever got rid of those scores coming into the final round. That was never really made clear from what I've seen. But having that kind of heady score already being high And then going into that final round with the same judges helps Mm -hmm. you. So the judges have seen, okay, she answered her hashtag really well. She was gorgeous in her modeling portions. And all of that, whether the score is wiped away or not, goes in and you have a final question. So even if she had made a mistake, like going over time, it ends up that they're just like, okay, but look how good she did in the last round. They're already Mm -hmm. inclined to give you benefit of the doubt at that point. So everything just really lined up really well in USA's favor this year, which was super exciting. Her entire swim and I'm trying to think if they call it gown, I think they call it gown.
0: I think it's gown, yeah.
1: For semifinals, just looked phenomenal. Mm. Lisa Opie obviously did an amazing job on hair and makeup. And her hashtag was great. It was something she clearly knew about. And it did sound really unique compared to some of the other hashtags, which definitely helped her make top eight. And then just going through all of those steps, having that preconceived part of the judges that were like, yeah, I really like this girl. It's just something that lines up. And I know people don't like thinking about, oh, they already liked her. But that's part of
0: pageantry. It's, yeah, it's it's what you say. And I think it's important to to acknowledge it, is that if you, especially in an online pageant, which really wasn't much of a thing until last year, 2020, um, but if you are one of the front runners for whatever reason, I mean, I can tell you I was on the press junket um, when Lindsay was there with probably a few other girls. I can't remember. I I attended two nights. Lindsay was there. Miss Roxy was there, uh, Miss Netherlands was there, and our Australian girl as well. And you could see the press, all of the questions. And I kind of felt bad because all of the questions were for them. um, And there were other girls on the line who really weren't getting any questions at all. So much so that on the second night, they literally had to say, each girl has to get at least one question before you can ask the same girl another question. But Lindsay um, and a a few of the other girls were getting a lot of questions, which does put it in the judge's mind, obviously, if you answer it well. Um,
1: I think that was just like a lot of great marketing on behalf of Miss Earth USA and Lindsay herself. She went on a bunch of interviews and proved where she was. So then fans were like, yes, this is my queen, this is my queen, this is my queen. So I don't know. I just think... All of that really helps in the long run. And even in a personal pageant, in-person pageant, things like having finals night judges that also judged things like interview will help the girl they liked the most in interview. That's just how pageantry works. Every judge is going to have that girl that they're like, I want her to win in the back Mm. of their minds. And they're going to score her well. That's just kind of a fact of the matter at that point.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very important to acknowledge. It's not to say that there's not a degree of transparency, but if you've impressed a judge, particularly through interview, I think interview is one of the really big ones because that's where they get to know your personality. And if you've come across and really impressed the judges, they're more willing, subconsciously, it's not a conscious decision, but some co- subconsciously they look at you in a different light. Whereas I think if you really screwed up on interview, and let's say you went way over time or you didn't really say much in your answers, then it's hard hard to win it back if it's the same judges. It's not always the same judges, but obviously in this case it was. Um, and I think that's definitely a very, very important part for people to know. Uh, Angel, just for yourself in terms of pageant prep, I mean, it's been a crazy year, obviously for everyone. <laughs> and now you've got the in-person, it, it's an in-person pageant, right? Miss Yeah, USA. everything
1: except interviews is in-person, yeah.
0: Okay, so how do you prepare for that? I mean, you're the pageant veteran, but for this particular setup, everyone's coming at it new. No one's had experience of twenty twenty before. So, how has the preparation for you this year been challenging or been different to what it might normally otherwise be?
1: I think a lot of times, like back in twenty twenty, I already went in with like the thought process. I'm like, I'm eighteen. I literally turned eighteen in March. I'm not going to make top twenty. I'm definitely not top ten. That's like top five is just out, out there, you know? So then going into 2020, I actually did get a lot of support from a lot of pageant fan pages, which was really surprising to me. Actually, I was like, they're putting a lot of bets on someone who's never been in Miss before. Let's be real here. And then actually having made top 10 was mind blowing. So, I do think I have a stronger degree of confidence in myself and my abilities now. I do think I have a little bit better understanding of what I need to do for Miss rather than things I've done in the past for junior and teen. Mm-hmm. My gown is a lot more Miss this year and is just a little, a little toned down from the full sparkles of <laughs> 2020 but also things like swim are different. I have already decided that my swim hair is going to be very different than typical pageant hair. And I am doing that myself. So oh, wow. I'm really, I'm nervous and excited about it, Got it because hair is not always been one of my strong suits. I'm getting better, <laughs> but it's never, practice. it's always been something that I need to practice a single hairstyle several hundred times it feels like <laughs> just to get it the way I want it. So I can do it over and over again. So I'm very excited. I feel like going into 2021, a lot of what I'm aiming for is just do the things I've always wanted to do. I've always been told like, this is what you need to do for swim. This is what you need to do for count. is what you need to do for runway. And I'm like, I'm a miss now. I can make the decision. Mm -hmm. So I am making the decisions and it's exciting. It is scary and it is ultimately strange. It's weird. It's weird in a good way.
0: You wrote in your chapter that, and this doesn't surprise me at all, that in many ways you were more suited for Miss, at least in the way you talk. And that's not surprising at all, having heard you speak before and now getting to talk to you myself. Was it more challenging for you trying to, I don't know, be more fun as a teen? Like more bubbly and vivacious and, you know, not, not, I don't want to say not having substance, but sort of being more more like a teen versus now, I, I feel the Miss division would actually suit you a lot better. Is that your experience?
1: Yeah, it has actually been suiting me a lot better. One of the things I frequently ran into competing for like junior preteen in Nebraska all the way up to competing for teen is a lot of people, like I use big words when I am nervous. It is something that is just instinctual because in my common everyday life, I throw out big words all the time. My friends are nerds. They understand me. (laughs) But in pageant world that's not always going to be easily understood, especially when you have non-native English speakers you're talking to. Mm. So when I'm calm and like doing interviews, I'm fine. But in interview, it's always been a challenge for me because I'm getting nervous. I just kind of want to do what I'm used to. And I will never forget the comment from when I competed for NAM preteen, where a judge literally said, Stop trying to act so smart. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Acting what? And it was just kind of like this, one, a huge slap to the face. Like, who's acting? (laughs) Who thinks I can act? And two, why? Why is that something needed? And eventually I kind of realized because smart people aren't fun. That's kind of the thing we think about. If you have someone who's talking on a very intellectual level for a very long time, like during an interview, you don't, they don't come across as someone who's fun to be around or fun to talk to. And that's what you want in a young title holder. Going into MISS, there's higher expectations. <laughs> and that actually works to my benefit. I've never been good at fluff questions. Ask me what my favorite color is, and I'm probably going to (laughs) cry because I have no idea. But ask me what's the biggest threat to national security. I'm going to give you a 30-second dissertation on my opinion. And it's just something that has worked to my favor because as the question level gets harder and higher, I feel more comfortable which means that I do sound more fun and I am acting more fun and less nervous. And I'm not acting so nerdy so much as what they need. And that's a weird transition to be making.
0: Have you ever felt that you've had to hide your intelligence?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Not just in pageantry,
0: but in general life as well.
1: I... Again, I've always been a nerd in middle school. I was actually getting really heavily bullied about it. So mm. one of the things was I was in a diff math class and there were several other people in that math class. It's not like I was the only one, but I was also very good at math and I was kind of a teacher's pet because of it. And mm. it wasn't just like, oh, haha, nerd. I was getting physically injured some of the times oh, I was wow. being, so we had like a set of two stairs that a group of boys would come and push me down. And it was just a horrible experience. And at one point I realized a lot of it was because they didn't like that I was smarter than them. Mm. So little seventh grade me was like, okay, I just won't show it. So I would do my math homework, but I would never turn it in because then they would know I turned it in because they could see me turn it in. I would not answer questions in class. I would do perfect on my tests, but I would quickly hide the grade. I would stuff it in my bag and never think about it again. My teacher actually got really frustrated because at one Mm. point she realized I was doing the homework. I had to have been because at some point if (laughs) the kid's not asking questions in class and they are learning things from the book that you did not Mm. discuss in class, clearly they were doing the homework. So she actually ended up calling my mother and that was a horrible conversation to be having. My mother is military, former military now and in general, just a very tough love kind of parent. So she was very angry at me, made me turn in all of the work I had been stashing in my math folder and (laughs) apologized to the teacher for giving her a heart attack. And it was Something you can it's, I don't want to say trauma, but that is the word for it. It's a trauma that's not easily forgotten. Part of the reason why they were picking on me is because I was a girl, they are upper mm. middle-class men, and that is very threatening to them. Everything they had learned in their lives said, girls are not supposed to be superior to you in anything. Mm. So- On one hand, I can understand their fear and their lack of confidence in themselves that was leading to it. But at the same time, that is just a horrible way to try to get over it and get past it. Not gonna Mm -hmm. lie. (laughs) And at one point I did end up dodging one of them when they came to push me and he fell down the stairs. And then he promptly tried to get me in trouble for it, which is a very entertaining story because there was a teacher right there who saw the whole thing. (laughs) So it it was actually kind of like the biggest like act of revenge, accidental revenge I could have ever gotten. (laughs) Because I was just like, sweet, I'm gone. (laughs) So
0: it's it's so funny hearing you talk about these things because Obviously, as I mentioned, I am very intelligent. Um, Sometimes I do feel like I have to hide it because it's it's off putting, especially doing interviews. If you talk in really long words, you can literally see when you're losing someone because their eyes glaze over. Um, But I remember back in school, I'm not going to say I had it nearly as hard as you, because I think as a guy, it is a very different experience. Um, But I remember in sitting exams, I don't know if you have this same thing. If you finish early, you can go. You can hand your paper and get up and leave. And I would literally feel bad that I had finished so early that I would sit there pretending to check my work when in actuality I was just sitting there because I didn't want to leave too early. And then one day I just realized I'd had enough and I left with, I probably left with more than half of the exam time still and I'd finished it. I finished it properly, put put it in and walked out. Um, But I think it's fascinating that, intelligence should be a quality that we aspire to. Yet for many of us, if we're intelligent, we feel we have to hide it. There are lots of other um, great qualities that you don't seem to have to hide. Like if you're strong, if you're athletic, um, even if you're attractive, to some extent, it seems that culture looks up to that. But intelligence, it's almost something to be feared. What what are your thoughts on that? That's my experience.
1: I definitely agree. I think there is like this very heightened social experience of A, intelligence is something I don't want to say it in like, oh, boo capitalism, but that's kind of what it is. If you cannot profit off of someone's intelligence, it is not useful. And you see that a lot with big companies that steal intelligent people's ideas. This Mm. is something that Thomas Edison was famous for like we credit Mm. Thomas Edison for inventing things like video cameras, like an old version of the video camera, but he didn't. It was Louis Le Prince and Thomas Edison stole the idea after Louis disappeared. So it's one of those things that unless people can use it in some form, it's socially unacceptable because it's not something that is marketed as a positive thing in a way. It's marketed very much as if you're acting intelligent, then you are a snob. You are a bad person. You're looking down on everyone. But if you're someone who's athletic and you're showing it off, you're just excited about the thing you're good at. And it's one of those weird things. I'm like, so because i've been called a snob for going off about (laughs) whales and whale vibrations and it's just like why does that make me a snob why is me doing something i'm passionate about and talking about something i'm passionate about make me a bad person i've never understood that
0: i i don't i don't know maybe this might help this is just something i thought of but i was talking to my best friend the other day i was playing tennis with him And I was saying that marketing, especially to women, relies on making you feel like you're not enough, not good enough, not smart enough, not sexy enough. If you feel you're enough, there's a lot of companies that would cease to exist overnight. I think one of the threats with intelligence is the assumptions that you can see through all that. All of the smoke and mirrors that people put up, all the facades, I think the fear is that intelligent people can see right through it. And I think that might be what creates that reaction of, I think it's fear. It it literally is fear. People react to it, they might bully you, but it's because they're afraid of you. They feel threatened by you, ironically, even though that's nothing that, you know, you never meant to threaten them, but just by being yourself, that very act was threatening to to them. That's the way those boys interpreted it.
1: That's a really interesting point that actually makes me think of one of my favorite historical women, Catherine Parr. She was King Henry VIII's sixth wife she was very often known as the hysterical queen because Mm -hmm. she was very adamant about female education. She was one of the few women at the time that had a higher level of education. She actually studied scripture. She had wanted to be a nun before she was forced into her first two marriages, which was a huge problem. And she literally got forced to marry a king because he's like, Oh, I want that one. But then Once he had married her and realized that she was very intelligent and very outspoken and wasn't just going to do what he wanted, he was Mm -hmm. very upset about it. And they kept trying to just tarnish her name, call her crazy. But at some point, people just weren't having it. Mm -hmm. Because at some point, Catherine was running the country. (laughs) She was making the country better. And people began listening to her. And that's a weird so I think there is a truth to that, that fear, because she did take over her husband's role, mostly because yeah. she was just sick of it. So she
0: was better, at it. She,
1: better was. at it. she wasn't starving half her country. I wonder why she was better at it. Gotta love at that, the That's
0: a, that's, that's <laughs> the thing with, with intelligence. It's um it, it look, it's it's fascinating to me that it is so sort of feared but at the same time if you took all the intelligent people and shut them away let's say ship them off to mars or something and you just leave everyone else on earth that's literally shooting your society in the foot if you take away all those people who are creating the breakthroughs and go oh they're snobs and send them somewhere else to, to snob land or the planet of the snobs you shoot your society in the foot so i just i think it's i think it's absolutely fascinating i mean if If you had your time over to do again in school when you were being bullied, would you have done it any differently?
1: I think I would have. I think I definitely would have turned in my homework knowing that I was going to get in huge trouble for it. But also looking back on it, it's just one of those things that it feels weird that I ever cared. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. they were being horrible people, but... Even things like them making fun of me in gym class, I'm like, I know I'm not athletic. Boy, I know. I don't know why I cared so much. Like, I don't know why I went out of my way to try to impress these people that clearly I knew girls who were more athletic than them and they bullied them the exact same way. So I don't know why I was constantly trying to get to that level, thinking it was gonna help me any. When clearly it's not. I should have just been doing what I do best and being myself. But it was a scary thing at the time. And if I could do it over, Mm. knowing what I know now, I think I would just be like own it. Because now I tell every single panel of judges, I'm like, I'm a nerd. I'm a (laughs) history geek. (laughs) Don't get me started on theater. Don't get me started on musical theater. Don't. (laughs) Like... Because at some point, Why you just want musical
0: theater. Why don't you want them to get you started on musical theater?
1: I was a tech manager for six shows over four years of my high school education. So essentially, what that meant is like I was like, re- I had to memorize the entire script. So I knew when people needed to go on, I needed to be coordinating the makeup and hair and the costumes and all of that.
0: Got it. Yeah. And
1: at this point in my life, if I'm bored, I am memorizing a musical script and like I can tell you all of like the interesting tech decisions Hamilton made. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite ones is Angelica Schuyler, Angelica and Elizabeth Schuyler, the two primary love interests as well as Mariah Reynolds, the tertiary primary love interest is bathed in a pink light during their main moments on stage during the opening number. However, on the bootleg version, there's a fourth character who is also bathed in that pink light and he happens to be a male. (laughs) So part of the reason for that is because historically with that character, there were romantic letters exchanged. So the bootleg version decided to add his line, I died for him, also bathed in that pink light. And it, it's an interesting, very subtle change that a lot of people just mm. didn't notice. But when I was like just looking at the tech of all of it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this wasn't in the original show. When it got put on Disney Plus and I could watch it, I was like, that wasn't in the original show. <gasps> and it kind of like came together. Like there was a reason why the light was pink. It was yeah. because it was romantic interest yeah. in, the sh- in the main show. And the bootleg version decided, hey, we're just going for this. So Mm. they did it for him too. And it was mind blowing because before I hadn't known why the, why these four characters were randomly bathed in pink light. I had no idea what it was even about, but then seeing the full show and all of the decisions they made, especially with Angelica and Elizabeth, I was like, Mm. Oh, so musical theater is like one of the most bizarre and interesting versions of just kind of, like, thinking back to, like, English class, reading between the lines and, like, looking for mm. things like allegories and different literary devices that are being used, but on, like, a visual perspective. Mm. It's, it's a fascinating choice for any musical to take just subtle little things and turn it on its head. Musicals are famous for using lighting as a way to suggest emotion in ways that, yeah, normal plays do, but not to the same extent because it doesn't come across as easily. Because you can establish in a musical by singing tone, what's this light supposed to mean? for the rest of the show. That's not something that a lot of plays, unfortunately, get to do. And it's, I don't know, I just really love musicals. (laughs) I have like an insane obsession with watching them and just like analyzing and picking it through. Currently, my obsession is Six the Musical, which is King Henry and His Six Wives. (laughs) It's (laughs) like, all of the choices from costuming to the entire premise of the show is they're fighting over who had it worse with their husbands so it's and that's like a fascinating choice
0: i wonder if you have had any interest or would be interested in filmmaking because filmmaking a lot of the work with the camera the close ins the zoom ups which angle you go from and the lighting although normally it can't be as colored as in musicals It's very interesting decisions that can really affect a movie.
1: I think one of the things that I've realized over the years, because again, like doing theater and doing tech is Mm. I like analyzing it and I like watching it come together. But part of the reason why I was tech manager a lot of the time is because I didn't like being on things like lighting or sound, or any of that, I didn't know how to convey the emotions that I needed to in different moments with different technical pieces. But I'm a really mm-hmm. organized and straightforward person who can see the whole picture come together when it uh-huh. comes time. So right. I I did have a friend suggest I become a film critic, <laughs> because <laughs> they like to go into like, symbolism stuff all the yeah. time. And I'm yeah. like, Oh, you think I'm one of those people? <laughs> and I'm like, you're probably right, but but no.
0: <laughs> you probably could, but um, I'm I'm not sure. I'd recommend it.
1: Um, I don't think it would be very as fun. A
0: career path. No, cr- criticizing something for a living, just in general, for me as a general principle, it's like being like a food critic. It's you go to a place, you get food for free, and you you talk, you say it's bad. I just I don't think that's a I think you can put your intellect to, to better use than films.
1: Like career on criticizing things. Like, I do interview coaching. I am a pageant coach for younger girls. That's why I watch things like Nam and IJM, and even critiquing interview is hard. It's really mm. useful when you're like competing and you just need to calm yourself down. You just watch it, but everybody else did, and you're critiquing every little thing. You just don't watch yourself because then you're upset again. But
0: I don't know. I think if you watch it enough, you actually end up, I don't know if you'd say develop a thick skin, but you get used to it. And then you can coach yourself.
1: I can coach myself, but like I don't develop a thick skin. I'm a very sensitive person. I've always, I've just always been like, I'm my own worst critic. Yeah like I even like mentioned to among like one of my friends on my Ms. Earth crown interview, one of my friends suggested that I start a podcast, which I am, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited about, but it, part of the struggle on getting it started has been, I don't like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm like re-recording, 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 re-recording. Oh, and I'm no, like,
0: no, no, I have a, a very easy solution for you, <laughs> which is do what I do and do everything live. And then you can't. You literally, one of the reasons I started doing everything live was because the time it takes to edit, particularly if you have any perfectionist tendency whatsoever, it's horrendous. You look at a five minute video and it's taken someone five days or five weeks to put it together. And you know, it was 90%, 95% of the way there in five minutes and no one else would notice except you. So doing something live like this where you can't take it back, and it's out there for everyone to see, and everyone enjoys it more anyway because, let's I said, they get to interact with you, and if you screw up, it's funny. That's otherwise you will be like recording your first episode for five years. I say this from experience watching other people do it. They're like, "Oh, I'm still doing my first episode." It's like I asked you about this twelve months ago. How can you still be on the first episode? Oh, I just don't say the right thing, and I hate the sound of my voice, and I keep.
1: That's me. <laughs> that is me.
0: Yeah.
1: Like I literally sat there working on like my talking points and script, not really a script because I don't mm. script what I say. I kind of give myself yeah. talking points a lot of the time. Yeah. It's something I learned from Stump because let me tell you, you cannot research and write a seven minute speech in 30 minutes and have it fully memorized by that. The end of that 30 minutes It doesn't happen. So you get really good at just using talking points and filling in as you mm-hmm. go. And one of the biggest things is, is like I get part of the way through and then all of a sudden I'm just I need I need to re rework it. I, I don't like that this part is here and that this part. It's <laughs> you like You can at
0: least finish saying what you're saying before you start <laughs> critiquing it. I mean, oh,
1: that would be nice. Literally- but-
0: you're speaking here your brain's out there and you're criticizing what's happened there and we haven't even heard it yet
1: it's like it's like i'm already like the first episode i decided was going to be on the electoral college process here in the us because i i just uh-huh. think it's an interesting version it oh, <laughs> well you guys have ranked ballots there right so you you guys are so uh- far <laughs>
0: Our systems are so, so different. I mean, we've been talking about it a lot, obviously, because the interest in in the recent election was through the roof, um, but just explaining the Electoral College and how, how you can lose a popular vote and still win, um, and then hearing that when you vote, you're not actually voting for the president or the party, you're voting for the people on the EC who then are like, <laughs> what's happening here? Like, this is so convoluted, so... But like, continue. So your, your first episode was about the I see? was
1: like talking about, because one of the things you mentioned there is losing the popular vote. Mm. I mean, winning the popular vote and losing the electoral college vote. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about that is it was not designed that way. That actually happened with Thomas Jefferson's election because he decided that he had a much better chance of winning if he could get all of the Virginia delegates to vote together. So he came up with the all or nothing system. So this is when, if the majority of the delegates are going to be voting for one person, Mm. all of them have to. The electoral college system in general fits a plurality democracy, which is what the US is. Australia is a representative democracy. So it's a little bit different because Mm. we just focus a lot more on, okay, here's a population. They're gonna have this many votes or here's a population, they're going to have this representative instead of having our entire population vote at once and have representatives chosen. So like I believe it's in the UK now. What they do is if 45% of the vote goes to the Conservative Party, then 45 seats go to the Conservative Party. And that's straight representative democracy. We Mm. don't do that. And part of it is because... In rural areas, they just wouldn't ever have any say <laughs> like yeah. I, like it's something like eleven percent of the population has twenty two of our Senate seats, whereas twenty two percent of our population have two Senate seats <laughs> because California is a huge part of our population
0: so can you, can you explain the um so swing states right yeah. So basically, the chances of any of the other states outside the swing states voting against what they're supposed to is pretty much zero. So why not just get the swing states to vote?
1: So something like what nearly happened with Texas is essentially why. So for the first time, Texas was really, really close to voting blue. It was actually, I think, three delegates off. And Texas has a lot of Delegates. So it's a pretty big state. And they were very close to voting blue for the first time, which is unheard of. Yeah. And in general, it's just a common practice of there have been Republican candidates that for whatever reason just really hit it off with states like California or New York. And mm-hmm. there have been Democratic candidates that really hit it off with conservative states like Tennessee, who voted for Obama both terms, which yeah. is a weird kind of anomaly, but at the same time, it's an important one because yeah. especially with swing states, if they are completely balanced, there's a problem because hmm. they have there's ways you can break up their votes to be exactly equal. And that's where you get a problem. And that's also where my state comes in and other states that don't do the all or nothing system. We actually have our delegates vote, how our people want them to vote. Weird, right?
0: What an idea, what a concept.
1: concepts. I always, I always dog on people who are like, oh, the electoral college system is broken. And I have professors that say it too, but I guess in my opinion, it's, it suits a plurality. We're not the only plurality that uses that system. And in other pluralities, it is not nearly as broken part of the reason why it's broken is because we have the all or nothing voting system for a lot of states. Whereas Nebraska, we had two votes red, one vote blue. And that's because district two ended up voting blue and all of our delegates have to follow their constituency vote. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a place like Texas, where literally it's a three vote difference between blue and red, all of them end up voting red because of three votes, like three more districts. That's bizarre. And that's also how, again, you get those huge disparities of millions of votes more for one person, Mm. but the other person still wins. And that happens Mm. on both sides of the aisle too. It is absolutely mind boggling when you kind of start to understand the electoral college, because it's not something taught in American schools. Fun fact, a lot of Americans don't know how it works either.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: It's like, I'm I do not know. am kind of wondering what they no, teach you I in school it. now. Ameri- so there is no university, like there's no national education for curriculum for the United States. States decide.
0: So, oh, okay. Well, at least someone's deciding. I thought you were going to say there's no curriculum whatsoever. But,
1: but then you a, can get out of that by, by state. being a private or like a private or a boarding school. So you don't have any curriculum that you have to follow then. And then local government can override state government, which is also a problem because (sighs) there's a specific district here in Nebraska where the local government is the school, is the city the school is in, but there are two other towns that bring their students to that school but that local government said oh i don't agree with the state government so we're going to override it but then those other two towns are like wait most of your school population is our students why do you get that decision and it's it's a it's a poor way to handle education in my opinion just because
0: well, it's a way i, I think you could Thank probably you. do better but um,
1: it's it's just like there are still books I've, I have seen with my own eyes and it burns where.
0: <laughs> burns your brain.
1: So I have family that happens to, I guess it's not like direct family. My father's half sister lives mm-hmm. on the Omaha reservation. She is native American and I, in a high school textbook, it describes a lot of the colonialism that happened as natives welcoming the pilgrims and giving them the land. And it's like, pretty sure that didn't happen. And, but then you go to Omaha, which is the next Big city over Hmm. our only other, it's our actual big city. It's our only actual big city. I need to stop thinking of Lincoln as a city. (laughs) But our big city, Omaha, has a curriculum that is very direct with students and it's based off of a lot of like firsthand primary account information. So Hmm. it's a lot more accurate to how people were feeling. Whereas (laughs) the Lincoln textbook just sits there. It's like, okay, here's the most comfortable way to describe history. (laughs) It's like, I don't think that's how that works. (laughs) So then you get a lot of students that genuinely don't know that anything bad happened. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing.
0: (laughs) No, no. I mean, they say history is written by the victors, but um, that's not always... A good thing. One of my good friends actually is from Omaha, Nebraska, and she is one of the most liberal people that I know. So when you say that the education in Omaha, uh, in Omaha is different from the education, I think she was talking about Lincoln. This was a while ago. This was back when uh, Trump was voted in the first time. So four years ago. I'm not sure what she said about Lincoln, but I'm not sure it was completely favorable. But anyway, just the education system might might have something to do with that. Um, Angel, we, we have to move towards the final 10. I mean, there's a, a load of topics that I could talk to you about here all day. Um, so I don't normally get to talk about this stuff in pageant interviews. But just before we go to the final 10, um, shout outs. Anyone you want to give a shout out to for supporting you in life uh, or in pageantry?
1: Well, of course, my grandmother, she's the one who's been with me every single moment of this, <laughs> to almost an insane extent. I'm not going to lie. I also want to give a huge shout out to Austin Ride Photography and Emory Jones Makeup Artistry, because they did my hair and makeup for my amazing photos. And that sounds a little weird, but I have never had such good photos and it's really exciting <laughs> for me. And I was actually surprised they got me in. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But I also want to shout out Emmanuel, I'm not going to be able to say his last name, uh, Felicin. <laughs> <laughs> Amon's going to get just so say mad. Emmanuel. Amon, I'm, I'm going to say Amon because that's what I call him. And Noi for just being really supportive of me throughout my Miss Earth USA journey, especially. I joined Miss in 2020, like I said, and I did my first ever interview with Miss Earth Crown, and Noe himself. And there was just a lot of support there. And I was very grateful for that. But also thank you to people like Mark, uh, Daniela. Oh, I'm trying to th- remember all these names. Mark, Daniela, Ralph, and Zani. <laughs> like these are people, Zani and Ralph I talk to like nearly every day too. That's the weird part. And those are the names I don't remember. <laughs> That's Sometimes life is fun, (laughs) but (laughs) thank you to all of you for your continuous support. Again, I went into 2020, not very confident in my chances, but coming into 2021, I feel a lot more like a miss and like, I actually have a lot of that confidence I need to, to do better than 2020. And that's super important to me. And a lot of it is because of them and their continuous support. So huge shout out and thank you for that. And of course, thank you to our directorship, Laura Clark, Ariel Sorensen. They are people I've known for many years now, and they are awesome people. So, yay.
0: Is this the photo you're talking about?
1: Yes. I love that. Photo.
0: That's a, Literally that's the only
1: thing photo. I went in saying He's like, well, what do you want your photos to look like? I'm like, I, I don't know. I want to look like a miss. I want to mm. look like a miss. And the first That's thing he does- it's definitely
0: not think, a teen photo.
1: It, it's definitely a miss photo. It's definitely yeah. a miss photo. Like the first thing they did is like, okay, we need to put eyeliner on you. <laughs> like, it's like when you put black around your eyes, you have too big of eyes. Yeah. Too, too young of eyes. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. It's <laughs> a
0: so nice- it's a nice photo, really.
1: I, I was really excited Stand about it. Up. I like how I just have the one strand of hair that's just like a perfect 90 degree angle. too.
0: <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> right, so if you want to read Angel's chapter, it begins at page 118. Um, and it has embarrassing moments in it, which I won't go into. Anyway.
1: The moment is kind of funny. <laughs> I don't know how many people like actually got that embarrassing, but at this point, I just laugh at it.
0: There are some pretty, pretty bad ones in there. um That was probably my favorite part of the book was looking at every. That's probably the first part I, I flipped to was, "What's this person's most embarrassing moment?" And you know, there are some people who dodge the question and go, oh, "I don't get embarrassed very easily," um but it, that just means they're not over it yet. Um, some I more. don't
1: get embarrassed very easily, but. That and I, I had a thing where I fell out of a tree on a live video, and that was also pretty embarrassing. But other than that, I don't think I get it. I'm just a very direct person. I don't get embarrassed easily. But those two things will stick with me for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> Falling out of a tree—that's one that I haven't seen on a live. But um, the I, nine, I was in a
1: Hunger Games nine. boot camp, like summer camp, like ah, pretend you're in the Hunger Games kind of thing. But like, it was like film and photography and we were live streaming to the rest of our group and I was supposed to be in a tree and I <laughs> I don't know how to climb trees. <laughs> I just didn't know, uh-huh. tree. <laughs> I w- <laughs> I didn't know how to climb a tree. I didn't know how to climb tree. And I didn't tell my group that prior either. <laughs> so I just like, faultless. <laughs> pulled-
0: it's funny sometimes how people can be so intelligent in one area and be absolutely useless in another area. It's I still don't quite understand how the, our brains can be so different. But I uh, have
1: noodle arms and I didn't realize that noodle arms are not ideal for hugging trees when you are up in the air, apparently.
0: Oh, they're great for hugging trees. They're just not great for holding on to trees.
1: Hold on to them like koala bear style. <laughs> it just like fell straight on my back. It was it was great. It was a very funny video. Ouch. But I hated it.
0: <laughs> okay. Angel. Final 10 questions. Do me a favor, don't overthink these ones. These are not supposed to be intellectual questions. These are the standard 10. <laughs> everyone gets the same ones it's been a while since I've done them so let me just make sure I can remember them but first question what is your favorite word
1: I think perilous just because it has like this weird perilous it it's fun to say and it also happens to be like a very recurring theme in one of my favorite non musical albums. Uh, Taylor Swift, when I was younger, was my idol. So she has an entire song about that. And I, I just love that word.
0: You actually, now that you mention it, you bear some somewhat so. of a resemblance to her. Now that you mention it, that's so uncanny. I just realized I, that.
1: I went to Nashville once. And like immediately tried to like follow every like look she had. <laughs> like the curls and everything. I was 13, but I wanted to be her. <laughs> I've also got a Lauren Gray, who I didn't know who that was until someone asked me if I was her. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. I, just,
0: I don't know who that is either. Yeah, I know a Lauren there, like, Gray.
1: Kind of, like, a Musically star she's a singer songwriter now but she was a like fine musically person i guess i don't know
0: (laughs) everyone's a celebrity these days question two (laughs) what is your least favorite word
1: any word that starts with the letter x i don't like how x sounds in like words like xylophone I don't, I don't like how it's just like a Z. I'm like, why do we have the letter X? If it just sounds like a Z, it, it really bugs me.
0: And you name three words that begin with X apart from xylophone?
1: <laughs> this is going to be bad. Uh, xenophobia. They're all going to be xeno because <laughs> xenocentric and xenophilia.
0: <laughs> that's so, yeah. Uh, I was thinking of xeno as well. I'm like, that's cheating. you got three words out of it. And I was going to say x-ray doesn't count, by the way. But I that's guess
1: x-ray. it works. X-ray isn't really an x-starting word. No.
0: Well, I mean, it starts with an x. But anyway, now I'm going to be thinking of, is there another x-word that I can think of apart from something that starts with xeno and apart from xylophone?
1: Because there's, like, a lot of xeno words, too. That's the problem.
0: Well, it would because have to... It would, it would have to... It, after the X would have to be a vowel or yeah. a Y, as in xylophone. So XA Xanax. That no, is that the sub- sub- Z-, sub- Z. Z.
1: Z- oh, a- Australia. Xerox. I always forget that. And- I forget that America's the weird people who don't say Z, <laughs> instead of everyone else not saying. Oh,
0: good. Z- yeah. Don't get me started on. Americanizations are spellings because the number of Zs I had to change to Ss for this book. It's like, it's not a Z, it's not realization with a Z, it's realization with an S and then there's an S and then, anyway. Rumor has a U in it. I learned color
1: with a U and spent Thank two, you. like, spent two <laughs> years getting points marked off for English papers because my, like, teachers were like, color doesn't have the U in it. C-O-L-O-R. and i I'm like, but... In all my favorite books, it has a U. <laughs> okay, it <totally laughs> I just I read a lot of British literature as a kid. I loved British stories. But for whatever reason, we're just like, no. There's no U in anything.
0: I'm <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question three. In life, what gets you excited or what turns you on?
1: Anything that has to do with... Theoretical mathematics, again, nerd stuff. But even though I'm not like great at understanding it, I'm not great at doing it. Theoretical mathematics, I can listen to people talk about for hours. So I have an entire like YouTube folder of just people talking about it that I oftentimes fall asleep to. Other than that, Minecraft speedruns are amazing. (laughs) And like there's a YouTuber dream that I recently started following, and he has, like, three, ro- ro- like, world records, and he does speedruns while people are, like, hunting him down in Minecraft, and it's just, like, really entertaining. I don't know why I I just gravitate towards it.
0: You've kind of covered both bases there. You've gone from mathematics to Minecraft. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> Pol- polar opposites there. Hey, but, I think um...
1: English is polar opposite. Just saying.
0: I'd agree with it. Question four: What turns you off?
1: Slimy mucus membranes of anything. Like even slimy <laughs> foods get me. I really enjoy pasta, but I have to like dry it out because I don't like the slimy. I...
0: How do you dry it out with a hairdryer? <laughs>
1: no, like. Now I sound dumb but like if, if I'm making like spaghetti I just like press a paper towel or a towel clean towel to it oh, yeah. and just like yeah. get some of the water out I just and even then I'm just like the texture and like the feel of it just uh, bugs me I don't like it don't like it
0: Okay. I mean, if you really don't like it wet, I guess you could eat it raw, but that's probably not going to go so well. (laughs) I
1: I don't think that would work out for me well.
0: (laughs) No, no. Uh, Question five. What sound or noise do you love?
1: I'm going back to Minecraft here. (laughs) So (laughs) rain in general is a really nice sound, but Minecraft rain is bliss so the rain sound in minecraft is made up of several different instruments and there's like music playing in the background as per usual and just the sound of it all together is very nice to me and i like it
0: i just looked it up on on google and the first thing that came up is why does minecraft rain so much
1: (laughs) it does rain a lot (laughs) I also have like three little cousins and two of them play Minecraft. So like people are probably like, why is she talking about Minecraft so much? To be fair, one, I was recently a child who played Minecraft and I am an adult who plays Minecraft. But two, I also have cousins who really enjoy Minecraft. So I do have that excuse.
0: Hey, you enjoy whatever you want. You don't need to make an excuse. I mean, you're only 18, so you're not that far removed from childhood yet.
1: Technically in Nebraska I am still a child because I am not 19. Our age is 19 to be an adult. So
0: why 19 not 18?
1: It has something to do with signing contracts. They just want to make sure that if you are going to be signing like a housing lease or anything like that, you have parents behind you and it's a thing like where if you're 18, you're likely not like getting your own apartment. But if you Mm -hmm. are, you probably need an adult saying, yeah, yeah, this is okay. Whereas if you're 19, you're either just not doing college, which is fine, or you're Mm. doing college and you're trying to get your own apartment. Where where in that situation, you don't need an adult. But if you're 18, you're probably in high school or just starting college. And you're, for whatever reason, getting an apartment. Why? So that's kind of the explanation I've been given about it. It's a lot to do okay. with like real estate.
0: Okay, all right, that's interesting. Um, it's a weird what sound thing. or noise? What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Any kind of like screeching, nails on a chalkboard, loud noises. I don't like loudness in general, even though I'm very loud. So, my mother's boyfriend has a son, and he has like a car that. It's very loud, very suddenly. So if I'm staying the night there and he's pulling out of the garage or something, it literally shakes the house when he starts his car. Very fun. That's and fun. I just, every single time, I just want to curl up and cry because I'm like, why do you need to do that? Worst thing. I hate loud noises. I'm a, I'm, a techie, I'm a techie who can't stand loud noises. Well,
0: that makes sense. That's fair enough. Uh, question seven, seven, seven. If you could have any one superpower, what would you pick and why?
1: The power to refill things at will. And people get confused on this. So like if I want a glass of water, but my glass is empty, I can just be like more water and just start drinking. Or if my wallet's empty of cash, I can just be like <laughs> more cash. And have all the money in the world. Do you know okay. how perfect life would be if I could just be like my bank account empty,
0: <laughs> filled. I was going to say refilling up a wallet with cash. No one <laughs> uses cash anymore. F- filling up a bank account, I get. And you guys in America, you have the bottomless soda, which I still don't understand. So you already have that endless refills. So.
1: I don't. I don't know why we have it. I have celiac disease, so I don't eat out a lot anymore, but. It's one of those things that I miss, but I don't miss. Yeah. My health has probably increased fivefold because I don't eat out anymore.
0: Well, just remember standard American diet. The acronym is S-A-D. It's sad, literally, (laughs) which I think just is the height of irony right there. It's like, it's sad. What's sad? The standard American diet. Yes, it is sad. Okay. (laughs) Question (laughs) eight. Humor. What job or occupation other than your own would you most like to attempt?
1: So other than the one I'm, like, going to school for, I'm guessing?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I really want to be in I, – I really thought about being an in to conservationist. So that's when, like, you have a conservation site unlike a zoo, but where it's in the natural habitat and it's right where the animals already were. So it's focused on preventing like extinction and endangerment of species. Whereas zoos are kind of like a last resort for a lot of those species. You're taking them out of their natural habitat and trying to create one. So I always thought that sounded really cool. Would have loved to go to Kenya this year. And because my school has a program where you can actually go to Kenya and work on an in situ conservation site there. And I... I would have loved to go. I know they're doing it again in 2022, I think. And I still think I want to go and just try that out because even though I'm not very much an outdoorsy person, I th- I think I could get over it just being there. <laughs>
0: that sounds that sounds amazing. Um once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh question 9. What job would you definitely not like to attempt?
1: anything like plumbing or mechanics just because I feel like it's a lot of, again, like memorization work about something I just don't care to know. (laughs) It's like I wouldn't have no idea. I learned how to change a car tire after I blew out my car tire and it was from a stranger on the side of the road. So.
0: But that doesn't I, count because at that moment you had a vested interest in learning how to change a tire
1: so, yeah. so it doesn't count and i definitely couldn't do that kind of job just because i wouldn't care enough to actually learn and i would probably mess up people's cars and homes really bad and then i would feel bad
0: yeah <laughs> like messing up someone's them. plumbing messing up someone's plumbing or not putting someone's tire back on Those are two things that don't end well.
1: Like if you make their plumbing worse, they're going to be pissed.
0: Probably literally, um, (laughs) final quest. (laughs) Oh dear. Jokes coming out today. All those intellectual jokes, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Does it have to be God? Cause it
0: like, can be a higher power can be whatever you want.
1: Well, thinking more of heaven, my little brother, um, he was four when he died, I was seven. And one of my biggest regrets in life is actually that I just wasn't a great big sister. Again, I was seven <laughs> and I had two yeah. other sisters that I could be hanging out with, but I usually was the, since I was the other young kid, I was the one stuck with him a lot of the time Mm -hmm. And and I was just like really bitter about it because it was things like you have to take a bath together because you do two to a bath, the two older get to go together, the two youngest get to go together, that kind of thing. So I was like really bitter about it a lot of the time and looking back on it, I really regret it and really regret not becoming closer to him until about a year before he passed. And I would really, really like to hear that he's proud of me and how far I've come on just being a better role model and a big sister figure to kids now. And in general, I just really, anything he has to say, I want to hear at this point. It's been so long. (laughs) He used to say things like, if you went out of your way to be nice for someone, he would call you a superhero. Any like mm-hmm. altruistic act is a superhero act in his mind. And I, I literally live by the mantra of like, okay, be someone's superhero today. And if he could confirm that I've done that would be really nice. Wow. So not really God, but a past relative that would be in heaven, I guess
0: i i lost a sibling as well not as young as you a little bit older on but um yeah they uh they're never far from your thoughts um well angel let's hold it there we talked for a minute thank you so much for for your time
1: thanks for having me i know this was just like a really difficult thing to get scheduled to (laughs) with your book and everything so thank you so much for having me And just like letting me come on, this was a lot of fun and I really do appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's not, well, I mean, it's almost 5 AM for you now. So you might as well just stay up and keep going with life. It was, it's easy for me, I've done the book. So, um, but yeah, look, and also best of luck with the pageant as well, which is in what starting in 13 starts, not even in two weeks, right?
1: So 11 days it starts. Oh my gosh. It's 11 days. days. Okay. And finals is on seventeenth, so 14 days away, two weeks away is coronation night. Well, Why well, did I say that? <laughs> now I'm going to be like super nervous.
0: <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Nothing has changed. I'm sure you're prepared for it, but, um, best of luck for it. Um, I'll keep you on the line for just a sec whilst I hang up with the audience. Um, Thanks everyone for watching live on the replay and for submitting your questions and comments. And we will speak to you next time. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching. Hope you enjoyed. Remember, Confessions is out. To get your copy from Amazon, head to shaw.be forward slash Confessions book. And I'll see you next time.